I would probably be a little remiss if I didn't say Peter Maiden sends his greetings. Um, my wife is his personal assistant and does a lot of his typing, and some of you received recent news from him. Anybody do that recently? Uh, my wife sent that to you. That's my claim to fame, my wife. Um, appreciate your kind words. My greatest achievement in life is actually having two children who follow Jesus and married spouses who follow Jesus. And that's the thing I'm most proud of in my life in that sense. Um, and if you knew where I came from, you'd say, ah, that's a work of grace, because uh, Owen was instrumental in my life in, when I was 19 on the streets of Coventry, when I walked into a Christian bookstore and uh, trying to get my life straightened out and was trying to buy a book on how to do that. I bought an IVP study book on Galatians. Didn't read it for seven years, but that's why I was there. But behind the desk was a chap I knew in school called Ian Todd. And I said, Ian Todd, what are you doing here? And he looked at me and said, Andy Berry, what are you doing here? And we got to talking and he said, why don't you come and volunteer in the Christian bookstore one day a week? And I finished my A-levels and didn't want to go to university, didn't know where I was going, I was on a road to nowhere. Um, and you have to understand my hair in those days was just a little bit longer. And I had carefully embroidered on my denim jacket the, the name Led Zeppelin. Some of you may know who that is. And, and I had beads down the side of my jeans. And um, I was, you know. And they said, me? Christian bookstore? He said, yeah, it'd be great. So I pitched up on the Monday morning. And that was the start of, start of the journey of restoration to meet Jesus Christ. Several wonderful ladies from America and then an older sister almost from Denmark sort of took me under their wing. I went on a short-term mission in France and then stayed for a year. And you know what they say about OM, come for a year and stay a lifetime. Well, I, I married an American, not one of the ones in the bookstore, theological training in the States. Um, set apart for gospel ministry by a group called the Christian Missionary Alliance. And you know, I don't know who he is, but A.W. Tozer was a Christian Missionary Alliance person and um, then eventually with France, uh, and then back to OM again. Never thought that would happen, never wanted to come back to the UK. I had escaped from Coventry in the early 80s, and if you knew Coventry in the early 80s, when all the car companies were closing down, it was almost as bad as Belfast. <laughs> I had escaped, got out of there, never wanted to come back, and um, I find myself actually knowing I'm here exactly where I'm meant to be. Uh, and that's a little bit about what I want speak to speak to you about tonight in Acts chapter 17. And I, I tell you my story because of the power of the gospel, but also because of this idea, you are where you're meant to be. And this passage explains why you are where you are meant to be right now, uh, doing what you're meant to do. It's a fascinating text as we come to it. But first of all, a quick video. You know our ship, the Logos Hope, I think Matthew mentioned it this morning. And here's a brief video about it. And I want to encourage you, sometime probably late October, it will be in Belfast on its three-month tour of UK cities between September the 17th and December the 15th, London, uh, Dundee, Belfast, Merseyside, finishing up in Cardiff as well. We're excited there. We want to see churches get a hold of missions of the Lee Streets. We're partnering with another number of other agencies to do that. We don't see it as an OM job. We see it as a, a job of a lot of agencies to engage with Lee Streets people's here, there, and everywhere, because they are everywhere, indeed, in so many ways. So, a little brief video about the Logos Hope Ministry. I think we've got it coming up. 
2018 marked the start of a pioneering phase of ministry in a region not visited by an OM ship for at least 15 and in some cases 20 years. Lobos Hope made her first voyage to Latin America. The vessel and her crew set out on a long-awaited and much prayed for schedule of visits to Mexico plus countries in Central and South America, not only to share knowledge, help and hope. OM Ship Ministry and OM Latin America were embarking on an unprecedented collaboration, a shared vision and clear direction from God to mobilize, to inspire and equip Latino Christians to play their part in the Great Commission. Only a few decades ago, the gospel had not spread throughout this region, but things have changed. Today we are talking about an average of 20% of uh, Christians in the whole uh, continent. Uh, around 90 million Christians. Understand that we can be part of what God is doing in the rest of the world. So Latin American churches are excited uh, and realizing that now is time for us to send the missionaries. Now Latin American churches received the missionaries so far, but now church leaders and Christians start to realize that wow, this is the time for us to go and to the share the gospel into the least region. Visiting 15 ports in 7 countries, from Mexico through Central and South America, this was a record-breaking year for Lobos Hope, her busiest ever with more than a million Latinos climbing the gangways. The vessel's running total of visitors since launching in 2009 passed 7 million in Mexico, where a 30-year record for the ministry also fell, as our book first saw the largest number of visitors in a single port. Generous givers all around the world invested in Logos Hope's Bookford, making it possible for us to restock with literature appropriate for this region. We've moved 60% of the English titles away and replaced them with Spanish titles, but also with the crew members, we've also had to uh, train them in how to speak Spanish so that they can share with the people. Visitors to Logos Hope bought a total of 735,000 books in 2018 which included almost 400,000 Christian books and Bibles. Seventy-one thousand people came to collaborative events held on the ship. Crown Financial Ministries taught principles of godly stewardship at a series of conferences for church leaders who may be new to supporting overseas workers. Missions fairs invited various agencies to present the work they are doing across the world and Latin American Christians interested in praying, giving or going connected with Operation Mobilization's partner projects in areas least reached with the gospel. The parable when Jesus tells Peter to throw the nets on the other side and the fish was so many that the nets were breaking. And in all honesty, this is what I feel like is happening right now in Latin America. The response to God's mission and God's call is so overwhelming. Even for us, it feels like the nets are breaking. And so it's beyond certainly our expectations, which really encourages me tremendously. When that happens, they have to call others to help them to take the nets. And that's exactly what is happening right now. We have to call others because we, we see that we cannot do it alone. Logos Hope's health ministries blessed 1,800 people with new reading glasses, distributed 114 water buckets and almost 300 filters to communities without clean drinking water. 
gave 272 children a pair of the Shooter Girls. And the ship's volunteers gave training on and donated sewing machines to promote skills that can produce an income. On shore, our volunteers were embraced by the characteristically warm and joyful Latino spirit. Our team shared their hope in schools, orphanages, hospitals, and prisons. They joined church outreaches to homeless people and refugees and ventured into more remote areas to connect with indigenous people. Logos Hope made a historic first passage through the Panama Canal, transiting from the Caribbean Sea to the Pacific Ocean, an unforgettable adventure for our volunteers. We praise God that more than 3,000 people have committed to pray for and support mission endeavors, with a further 5,000 Latin American believers exploring how they might serve God overseas. Some have already launched out and are now part of our ship's community. We're so grateful for your support, and we're only halfway through our tour of Latin America. I really have this sense that God is using the Latin church as never before, and not only in Latin America, but also to the very ends of the earth. In 2019, her 10th anniversary year, Logos Hope's crew will call in key ports in South America to encourage more to join us in prayer partnership and mobilization to reach more with the gospel. Join God in what He is doing. That's great. We'll stop that. So, ship's coming and uh, we'd love to have you come and visit and you'll hear the heart. We really believe that the ship is a, an instrument, a tool, to raise the awareness of the UK church to reach least reached peoples, not just with OM, but with other agencies who are doing that, with churches that are doing that, whether that's people in your city, or whether that's peoples in cities across the UK, or whether that's to the ends of the earth as well. The first group of uh, Latino believers have gone now to, the, to Dubai to help reach Muslims in, in the... In the in that area of the world as well. So this is encouraging because one of the great challenges of the Latino church is lots of Christians, but lots of less mission activity. So really trying to engage that. And that is our hope as the ship comes to the UK, that again, the church in the UK will suddenly go, ah, we all have a role to play in reaching those who haven't heard the gospel, what we might call these streets peoples. Look with me in the book of Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 16, and I'm just going to walk us through the passage. Um, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the city with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And when some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Please note his message, Jesus and his resurrection. The implication is he died, but the emphasis was on his resurrection here. Uh, to these people. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. It was kind of like the ancient Twitter in that sense. Lots of talking and hot air and whatever else in that way as well. 
Um, skip those first two slides about fishing, if you will. You are where you are. I don't know about you, but the text here says that Paul was disturbed or provoked. Now, I don't know what provokes you, but there are things that provoke people in the world today. I, I just booked up three pictures. This is the bombing of the church in Sri Lanka, one of the ones where uh, a number of Christians died. Uh, the top right one is the uh, picture of uh, some people queuing up in, in, uh, in East Africa last summer when uh, the hurricane came through, the tornado came through, and a lot of people died and suffering in that way. The bottom right one is perhaps something a little closer to home. People that seem to be upset about uh, the demise of the world in 12 years' time. Um, personally, I think it won't finish till God wants it to finish, but we can discuss that another time if you wish. Extinction Rebellion. These are the things that get people provoked, sometimes worthy causes. But you'll see what Paul was provoked about. In his spirit, he was looking at all these people, God's humanity, who God had created, and they were following after things which didn't lead to the true God. And he was provoked in his spirit in that way. And so he stands up and he preaches. Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. I think there's some things we need to know, and Paul's telling the people here, about our world today. The first statement I'm going to make is this. People are very religious. Now, we live in a society that tells us that nobody is religious except religious people. I was in Manchester talking to some people and they said, oh, oh, you're a religious person, aren't you? And I said, and so are you. Tell me who you trust. Because the reality is all people are religious. All people trust in something or someone, or a set of ideas. Religion is not an appendage sticking outside of your head, like you're some kind of special case. Everybody is religious. I lived in France for eight years, one of the most secular countries around. 25% of people in France consult some kind of mediumistic idea every year, whether it's a, an occult, or whether it's a soothsayer, whether it's to get their palm read, or whether it's reading their stars, but they want to know what else is out there besides what they can see, feel, hear, smell, and touch. <laughs> They're religious. They want to find something more than this physical universe. They're religious. And Paul says that the people of his world were religious, and I suspect, too, People in our world are also religious. You're religious. I'm religious. Muslims are religious. Secular humanists are religious. I'm going to show you why in just a moment. Because religion answers four questions. All religion answers four questions. Where do I or we come from? Where am I or we going to? Why am I here? What's my purpose for my existence? How can I know what I believe, what we call epistemology? Now, Christianity answers all those questions, doesn't it? We know where we came from. God created us. We all came, he's going to tell us, from one man and one woman. We're all related in just a moment. Where are we going to? Well, it depends upon decisions you make in this life. 
Some of us will walk into eternity, sorry, death is the great dividing line. Up to that point, you get a choice as to where you go. But after that, it's set in stone. You'll either be with, you've got eternal life, or you're without eternal life. We know our destiny. We know why we're here, for the glory of God as Christians. And Paul's going to tell us why people in general are living on the planet as well. How can I know what I believe? Well, we've got this wonderful thing called the Scriptures. And this gives us affirmation through the history of the nation of Israel. And then through the stories of Jesus. And then through the explanation of what Jesus' life and teachings meant in the epistles. We know why we believe what we believe. And that leads us to know that we are sure as believers of our own identity. But every religion answers those questions in some way. We'll look at those in just a moment. The same thing that Paul teaches in this passage is we need to know about the true God. And he does that in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, to all mankind, life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. He's going to tell us what we need to know about God is that we're talking about the true God, the creator God, the one who's external from his creation. This is not Hinduism. Hinduism says that creation is God, part of it. But he made it, he's outside of it, and yet he also has the capacity to be inside of his own creation as well. And he did that supremely through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the very image of God as well. We need to know something about this world we live in. He's not served by human hands. I just want to take a note. I grew up in a church environment where sometimes I was told, if you don't serve God and tell people about Jesus, who will? God needs you. That's not what Paul said, is it? He said he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you to be a missionary. You shocked a little bit? It's kind of blunt language, isn't it? I've got good news for you, though. He wants you to be involved in mission. He desires that you're engaged in what he's engaged with. His mission to reach the world, the peoples of the world who he created. And you get the privilege of joining him in doing that. But he doesn't need you. Not one bit. He's the giver of life. He created everything. He started everything. He can restart everything. God is God, truly. So we need to know this about God. Even as Christians, he doesn't need us. wants us. Now, think about your marriage just a moment for those who are married. It's a lot nicer to be wanted rather than needed. Trust me, if you're, want, if you're needed, it creates a, a wrong kind of dependency within a relationship. But desired is a wonderful thing. And that's what God wants with his people, the church, you and me as individuals. 
Look with me at this next passage just a moment before we get to a little picture here. He made one man and every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Next slide, just a moment. No, back, 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 back. Oh. We recognize those as all people, don't we? They've got heads and arms and legs, even though they're just curves and shapes. Huh? I'm looking out, and you're all different. Look around the world, and we all look different. But Paul is really clear in this passage. He says he made from one man every nation of mankind. We're all descended from a common humanity. Uh, you can do the numbers if you like. It doesn't get that far to create seven or eight billion people. You do the multiplication process every 140 years, the population doubles in the world. You go back far enough if you can do your two times table. Uh, somewhere between seven and 10,000 years is enough to create everybody from two people. <laughs> For those of you biologists out there, we all have the same mitochondrial DNA, so that we all came from at least one similar pair of humans in the past. We are all related. There is, as a consequence, no room whatsoever in the Church of Jesus Christ for racism or xenophobia or anything else along that line. We are all related. Did you read about... Prince Harry and his wife, you know who they are? You know, actually, they're long-lost cousins because her father is somewhere from Yorkshire, 1,200 and something or other. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> We're all related somewhere in the past. I'm part Portuguese, part French. And if I'm part Portuguese, that probably means I've got some North African in me as well somewhere in the past. <sighs> We're all related. Paul says it very clearly. And theologically, this is very good. Because Jesus is the last Adam. And the first Adam is Adam. And the last Adam is Adam. If we came from different pairs of human beings, there'd have to be a different saviour for those who came from the different Adam. Uh, that wouldn't be so good news. So theologically, it fits together as well. Paul says it really clearly. We all come from one Adam one Eve, we have one saviour, Jesus Christ, and we're all on the place of the planet where we're meant to be born. He's given us set times and places. I can't help the fact that I'm English. I'm sorry, I'm in Northern Ireland. I feel a bit out of place. I don't speak like you folk do. It's horrible. But I have no choice over it. You didn't have any choice over where you were born either, or who your parents were, <laughs> right? Tell me, did anybody here choose their parents? <laughs> There's no such thing as true, true free will. I'm, I'm not sure I would have chosen my parents if I'd had a choice. <laughs> I don't know if my children would have chosen me if I had the choice, but I didn't. God put me through those parents into the right place at the right time because he's a sovereign God. And he wants and did it for a reason. He put out allotted periods and the boundaries. And the second thing then is what we need to know about humanity. We lived in this place and they should seek God, verse 27. Mm -hmm. And perhaps feel their way towards him. So everybody is in a place or a time with the purpose that they might find God. Grope around. Tatonet is the French word. It's a wonderful little word. 
got to that age where in the middle of the night, if I have too many cups of tea in the evening, I, I, I've got to get up in the middle of the night to find the bathroom. We were just on holiday last week with my wife and, you know, I thought I should turn the light on because I'm going to stumble into something and none of them have wake my wife up. So I try and I try to feel my way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. It's dark and, and I stuck my toe and I, and I wake my wife up anyway. And I think, well, I didn't turn the light on in the first place. I'm groping around in the dark, trying to find where the bathroom is in a strange place. And that's the idea here. People are groping around in the dark, trying to find the true God, the purpose of why they exist, where they come from and where they're going to, and how they can know. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we know where the light switch is. <laughs> we just got to turn it on for people to help them get it. So they can find him themselves. Every religion answers those kind of questions because people have this, this Malay Thai word, dukkha. It could be better than it is. And Christianity says it is better when you know Jesus. But all the religions are trying to figure that stuff out. Different religions do it different ways. Buddhism says, if you just learn not to desire, you won't suffer anymore. <laughs> but they still set people on fire. It's not that good. It's kind of popular in the West, Buddhism is, but not out in Thailand, it's not. It's brutal. Islam says, submit, inshallah, submit to God. You don't know what God's like, but just accept what he brings, because he's bringing it, because he's sovereign. Inshallah, if God wills, so be it. You have no control. That's their way of trying to cope with stuff which isn't as it should be. Hinduism prays to idols and deities. They perform worship in temples. The thousands of gods who you can't possibly know thousands of gods and ideas. Sometimes demonically inspired. In order they might live a pure life and... And then the performer will reincarnate into a higher being. <laughs> what a miserable hope. I might come back as something better next time, but I have no way of knowing. That's Hinduism's answer. Animism seeks to appease the unseen world, avoid the curses of the living and the dead by, by, by ritualistic sacrifices of, of various things. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. And then my favourite, our country, our part of the Western world. I call our religion, our majority religion in the West, from Germany across to Ireland, is what I call PESH, pluralistic, evolutionary, secular humanism. It answers all those questions about religion. People believe this. It comes out of the minds of Descartes. It comes out of the minds of Jean-Paul Sartre, the great French philosopher who invented this idea of called existentialism which says essentially there is no God, but mankind seems to have a need for a God, so invent a God and worship him. <laughs> Albert Camus, absurdism, so at the same time, it's just, life is just absurd, you can just, it doesn't make sense, so don't worry about it, just do whatever you need to do, eat, drink and be merry. Karl Marx said the state can provide the answers for everything. And the great Socialist and uh, uh, the great socialist and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, theorist put, tried to put these into practices in different countries uh, around the world as well. David Hume, probably the best known of the English or British philosophers, um, 
Scottish Enlightenment economist, essayist, highly influential in a philosophical empiricism. And then Charles Darwin. We're all just a process of evolution. That's where we came from. Maybe there's a higher something out there eventually as well. So these set of ideas, this is what people in our part of the world believe. Invent your own religion. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Hindu. We're all in this process of going somewhere and nowhere all at the same time as well. And so that's the religion which we're involved in, in the gates in this country, as well as in the Western world in particular. What else do we need to know about humanity? Paul continues, and he says, Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. You need to understand that in those days, the idols they worshipped, if you've studied Greek philosophy at all, they weren't just idols, they represented ideas and philosophies. And you go to the Hindu world and they represent the demonic spirits as well as ideas and, his, and philosophies as well. So it wasn't just a, let's carve something. No, it was something behind that as well in the unseen world. And Paul says, we shouldn't think as God's offspring created in his image that, that we create something and that's what God is like. No, no, we're the ones made in God's image. It's impossible. It doesn't make sense. Non sequitur, he says. But God is not far from any one of us. And I think we need to understand in what ways God is close to different peoples in the world. So we can look at different religions of the world. Don Richardson says in his book, Peace Child, that among tribal civilizations there are hidden traditions, stories or understandings which point towards God and salvation through Jesus Christ. He first realised this during his time with the Sawa tribe in PNG and tells what happened in his book, Peace Child. It's worth reading, even though it's 40 years old, that book is. And he says in animism they have these stories which, which can point to a redemptive analogy of what Jesus is like within their own culture. French philosophy. Jean-Paul Sartre said at the end of his life, I do not feel that I'm the product of chance, a speck of dust in the universe but instead someone who was expected, prepared, prefigured. In short, a being whom only a creator could put there. And this idea of a creating hand refers to God. At the end of his life, Jean-Paul Sartre, who spent his entire life trying to show God doesn't exist, but we need to invent one, says, I can't live with this. I, I don't think he became a follower of Jesus. But even with this historic figure in French culture, and every 18-year-old knows who Jean-Paul Sartre is within French culture, this quote, Changed his people's thinking about what's important in life and what they need to discover. Interestingly enough, I spent a lot of time talking to people, and in France they say things like, Je suis croyant, I'm a believer, mais pas un practical, but not a practicer. <laughs> that means they get sprinkled as a baby, married in the church, and they'll die in the church, but in between the eyes it means nothing. They're practically atheists or agnostics. They say, I just can't believe in a God doesn't make sense to me. And I asked them this question. So suppose there was a God. What do you imagine he would be like? You know what I'm doing? I'm appealing to their philosophical thought level. Something close. 
with a question. It's interesting how many people, 90% of people will say, oh, if there was a God, he should be loving, merciful, and he should be just. Odd thing that I say to people, the God you imagine there would be if there was, is the God that the Bible talks about, loving and just. Curious, isn't it? And right there within our modern Western secular culture, I've got an inroad because God is close to people. We just have to help switch on the lights. I haven't got enough time to talk about Jesus in the Quran, but the Quran mentions Jesus a number of times. Encourages people who are Muslims to read the Injil, the New Testament. We can help them do that. We do just a simple, let's read one of the Gospels together, the Injil. What do you think about Jesus? He's a prophet in your religion. Let's look at what this prophet said about himself. God is close to people as well. I'm rapidly running out of time because I have an aeroplane to catch. The house of Islam. These are the things in Islam that men in particular struggle with. Identity, sexuality, legalism, Anger and money. I S L A M. It works in English, it doesn't work in French, but you know. <laughs> so if you befriend somebody who's a Muslim in background, you can start to ask them these kind of questions as you develop this relationship with them, especially the men. Because men in Islam are struggling with these things. How are you dealing with who you are? What do you do with your sexuality? How do you cope with legalism? What's anger like? Money. Uh, do we have any problems with these things in the Western world? We're, we're actually quite expert on it because this is the basic problem with humanity as well, isn't it? We really get this stuff, especially as Christians, because in the Western world, these are the things we struggle with. This is what secularism has brought us to. Identity, sexuality, legalism, anger, and money. Legalism, if you come out of a legalistic Christian environment. <clears throat> What's the good news about all this? And that's what Paul gets to. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by a man, that is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, Jesus died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. He lives forevermore. That means he can give us life now. That means he can sit at the far right hand of the Father and intercede for us. That's what Hebrews teaches us. But it also means that he can return and is the final judge. And in the meantime, God wants us to be involved in his mission to help switch the lights on for people. They might find out who Jesus is. It's such an enormous privilege to be involved in him, with him in that way. I'm skipping the next slide. Some questions for reflection. Am I convinced that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost? Is that why he came? Now, I know that's true for me because he did. But am I convinced that he's true that for other people as well? If you're not convinced that it's true for you, that you were lost and he found you, then you're going to have a harder time being convinced that it's true for other people. 
So the first thing is this question of the mind and the heart. Am I convinced that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost? And you'll recognize that from a verse from one of the Gospels. Second question, in what way is God close to the people around me of different backgrounds? Whether they be nominal Christian, Muslim, agnostic, Hindus, or whatever else. What way is God close to them? How can I, how can I help switch the light on for that person? What's their background? What's their cultural background? What barriers do I have to cross? Sometimes it's language. Sometimes it's geographic. Sometimes it's just overcoming the fear factor and opening my mouth and saying something to the neighbor across the street. Sometimes it's a socioeconomic boundary. We're not good at those as British people, to be honest, are we? Especially my generation. Since the Holy Spirit came so that we would be witnesses to the end of the earth. I think that's true. Book of Acts, right? How do I need to, can I use the American phrase, up my game? So he can use me. I can't answer that for you. That's between you and Jesus. You gotta do that. You can do that. Should do that. Within the framework that God not that God needs you, but that God wants you to do it. I call this missional living. Here's the foundational practices of missional living. This is where it's fun. This is where you can get creative. Hang out more. Yeah, you gotta hang out with people. Hang out. It's the great thing about university students, unless they're working too hard. Oh, you should be working hard, but you know, find some time to hang out. It's the great thing about being a retired person. You've got more time to hang out. Hang out. Listen up. What are people actually saying? Be friends. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> you want to be like Jesus? I'd be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> Hard for us nice people sometimes, isn't it? Eat more. The whole world revolves around eating together. Now eat more. Be with people. Have fun. My Sunderland friend over here is nodding his head. Have fun. Repurpose. You go out to eat with your spouse or your family. Go to a different restaurant. Go to one of those restaurants where they've got people who aren't like you. Serving food, which you don't normally eat. It's pretty good sometimes. You know, make some new friends. Repurpose. You eat out every week, go eat out somewhere different every week. Make some new friends. You usually shop at Tesco's or wherever you shop. Well, go down the market where they, maybe you don't have a Syrian quarter in Belfast. I think you do. But, but go down there. I go to the Pakistani neighbourhoods when I'm in Birmingham. So I can talk to all the Pakistanis. 1.8 million Pakistanis in the UK and probably 1,800 of them Christians. <laughs> Shameful for the British church. Be smart. Be smart with it. God wants to use you. He doesn't need you. He wants to use you. You get the privilege of serving the almighty creator God. You've got one life to do it. Don't waste it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this seminal passage in the book of Acts. When Paul, for the first time, we see a message of what he said to people who are pluralistic. Up to that point, he's been speaking to people who believe in God, Jewish people. That's the recorded messages previously. This is the first time he's encountering people. Believe everything. 
And he lived in a world very much like ours in that sense. He wasn't scared or put off. He ends up with Jesus, his resurrection. And Lord, we want to be people of the risen King. We want to acknowledge him. We want to lift him high in our own lives, spreading the message, the good news, that we can be right with you because of what he's done on the cross. We can have new life, eternal life, because you rose from the dead and you sent your spirit that we might have eternal life from here till we cross through death to being with you forever as well. And we thank you above all that we have this privilege of serving you as your people in this place, at this time in history. Help us to help others get the light switched on so they can find you too. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.